And uh, we're in this series, and the, the word I just kept getting from the Lord for the theme of 21 was the word reset. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, go unnoticed that this weekend, as we kick off 21, is actually the year anniversary of the COVID-19 shutdown of 2020. Uh, one year ago today, uh, life as we knew it began shifting, changing, looking nothing like we thought it would look like, never could have imagined that it would, we'd be in the place kind of that we're in right now. Um, we went fully online um, as a church and for, for four months, um, I was preaching to an iPhone and, uh, and we're still kind of like coming back and now people are getting vaccines and we're kind of moving in this, we're moving forward and reopening and all this stuff. But um, here's, here's what I just sense in the Lord. As, as we start to move forward with, you know, masks and gathering and vaccines or not vaccines and all that kind of stuff, God is wanting to do a reset on our souls. As we move forward into this, into this I, I firmly believe that it is not a coincidence that we're beginning it on the year anniversary of the shutdown. And um, I just want to encourage you to just take, take the opportunity to reset um, your soul. I was thinking about this. Um, if you've ever uh, had an IT person, maybe at work or whatever, come and try to help you with your phone or a laptop or something like that, or maybe you have been in the place where you've helped somebody else um, as an IT professional, um, this, this is free, so I'm not charging you for this IT help, because this is the first question, if you've ever worked in IT or ever had somebody come to you try to help you, you know, fix your glitch or whatever's going on with your, with your computer, the first question is this. When was the last time you restarted your device? That's free. So if you're like, oh, it's been three years. I don't think I've ever restarted it, right? Um, here's what I would say. Before you start calling up the Geek Squad or your eighth grader, just make the decision to, to, to restart your device. Because this is what people think that you can, you can continuously, and if you're an IT professional, you're like, amen, hallelujah. Um, that, that we think that we can continuously run our device and then just plug it in to charge it up overnight and we're all good. Some people run their cars this way, right? You just keep putting in the gasoline. It says E, put in more gas. What, am I, what do you mean I'm supposed to change oil? What is oil, right? Like, or blinker fluid. I've never changed my blinker fluid. Why would I need to change that? You'll get that later. Like, we'll get to this place where, like, we, we think... Well, I'm just going to just run it hard, and I'm going to plug it in at the end of the night, or I'm going to put some gas in the tank, and then I'm just going to keep going until you don't go anymore, until it glitches out, until the car breaks down, your engine seizes up. Um, and, and this is what I want to say. Like, um, and I know people in my family, I won't name names, Katie, that have not restarted <laughs> their phones in probably over a year, or the last time I said, you probably have, when was the last time you restarted your phone? And then when we don't do that, it results in glitches and freezes and issues. And here's the thing that I've been processing. Yeah, I don't, but you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if we do this with our devices, okay? If we do this with our devices, um, how do we treat our souls? My, my guess is that we treat our souls the exact same way. So the question that we're processing through over the course of these 21 days is asking this question, how is your soul? How is your soul? Have you been running it hard and not stopping to reset or refresh or restart? How is your soul? 
Turn with me to Revelations chapter 2. It's the last book in the Bible. If you've got your, your, your version app on your, on your phone, you can, you can pull that up. And as you do that, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word together? Um, Revelations chapter 2. If you know anything about the book of Revelations, there's this portion in the beginning of this, of this book where um, the Spirit of Jesus is writing through John the Revelator, and he is um, writing these letters to churches the present-day churches at the time of this writing. And this one that we're going to read is to the church in Ephesus, which was a real place with real people and um, a real church. It says this in verse 1, Revelation chapter 2, To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. In other words, Jesus. He says in verse 2, I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he's like, look, guys, you have persevered. Your doctrine is sound. You, You may be pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. You are nailing it on so many fronts. You're doing great. And then he gets to verse four. He says, yeah, I hold this against you, you've forsaken the love you had at first. And then he tells us how to get it back. He says, consider how how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then he gives them the consequences. He's like, if you don't repent, and this is weird, he says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you, um, you want to speak to not just a, an ancient church in Ephesus, to a group of people, but I, I believe there's something in it for us that we would come to this place of realizing um, maybe the areas where we've lost our own way, where we've lost the love that we had at first. God, I pray you'd restore it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. Um, so these people, these, this church in Ephesus that, that Jesus is speaking to, um, they, their doctrine is sound. I mean, it is rock solid. They know what they believe. They persevere. They're plugging along. All outward signs says, like, you guys are rocking it. You're doing, you're doing great. And, and if I'm reading this from the church in Ephesus, I'm thinking, man, we're doing so much better. Like, have you read the church in Laodicea? Like, we're... <clears throat> I mean, spitting them out of the mouth, like lukewarm. Like, we're doing so much better than, than Laodicea. And, and then you get to verse 4, and it's so interesting to me. And I want you to catch this word. He says, yet I, I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken, that word, the love that you had at first. And, and I wonder, like, if you feel like you've lost your passion for God, your love for God, it may not be that you've lost it. It may be that you've left it. He doesn't say you've lost your love. He says you've forsaken it. You've left it. So the question is this, like, how how do you leave it? How do you leave the love that you had at first for God? Um, How does that happen? Here's the answer. Usually slowly. Like, it's a a slow fade. It's not a quick thing. As the longer I've been in in this Christian thing is that I realize that there are gravitational pulls that, that will pull us to one side or the other. Um, one, one pull is that God frees us and we get pulled back to the stuff that we used to do, our sin, right? Like, man, I, God freed me from this. And now I, over the years and over the time, I, I'm pulled back into the sin that God freed me from. 
And then on the other side, and maybe even more sadistically or even, even more dangerously, is to think that we're following Jesus, but really we're just going for a walk. So what does that look like? Um, it means that sometimes, and this is, we can all fall into this, is that we start focusing um, on things that are not the point as though they were the point until we get to the point where we think, what is the point? You ever been there? Let me say that again for you. I'll slow it down. We start focusing on things that are not the point as though they were the point until we get to the point where we think, what's the point? It's true, isn't it? Like it's so easy for us to just be like, ah, I'm, I, all of a sudden, that we, 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 we didn't just like lose the, the, the love that we had at first. We, we, we kind of left it. We started focusing on things that, that aren't the point as though they were the point, and then we get to the point where we're like, well, what's the point? What am I doing here? Like this, this Christian walk thing, like this isn't working. Like I'm still frustrated, and I, I'm still going through all this stuff. I, I'm, I still have temptations. I have all these things. I, I don't understand what is the point in all of this. And you lose it. You forsake it. You you leave it. We see this in professional athletes. So we can all talk about professional athletes. Probably none of us in here are, right? So let's talk about them. Um, when you see professional athletes, like they, 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 these people, like they, guys, girls, they grow up, they love playing soccer, baseball, football, whatever these professional sports are. And one day in the hopes, I'm going to make the big leagues. I thought I was going to be an NBA player. Not because I was good at basketball, but I was tall. That's all I had. And so I thought, why not, right? I'm going to try this thing. And so, you know, every kid aims for this, aims for this, aims for this. And then one day, the, what, 0.01% of the, of the population be, gets the opportunity to be in the big leagues? And all of a sudden, you, you watch these 30 for 30s on ESPN. You get to, like, the background of what's going on. I was just watching the one on Michael Jordan, MJ. And, like, and there's this whole idea that, like, all of a sudden, it shifts to about signing bonuses and management and money. Where you listen to these guys and you're like, man, $50 million a year? How can you even feed a family? I can't even feed a family on $50 million, you know? And because like, the struggle's real for them, right? And it's like, we pray for them. Like, that's got to be a difficult plight in life. And so all of a sudden... All of a sudden, they've lost the awe and wonder that they get to get paid for hitting a ball with a wooden stick. They get to get paid for shooting a ball through an iron hoop. Like, what, like I get, you're going to pay me to do the thing that, that I love? Like, like, I get to play a game and you pay me for that? And I wonder, I think that... I think that Jesus is speaking to and reminding this church in Ephesus and probably some of us in here, like, don't become professional Christians. Don't become professional Christians. People that have, have like, started this journey in passion and then end it in chores. Or, or say the right thing or, or, or do the right thing, but don't have any passion on the inside of themselves. And I think that Jesus, I mean, the, as he's speaking to this church, he's like, look, you guys are doing awesome. Your doctrine's great. Study the word of God. Do that. Know what you believe. Serve. Give. Use your giftings and all of these things. But please don't leave the love you had at first. Because if we're not careful, we end up, instead of following Jesus, we start following principles of following Jesus. Like, look, so preachers like me with microphones on stages all around the, the nation do not help in this. 
Because we love preaching three-point sermons. We love preaching, you know, four steps to becoming a better parent, five steps to becoming a better husband, um, you know, three steps to receiving the Holy Spirit, four steps to uh, discipleship, four pillars of the Christian life. And, 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 and can I just, can I say it very clearly to you today? Like, your only hope is Jesus. Your only hope is Jesus. I mean, your only hope is that you, you need to personally encounter him. And four steps, five steps, three steps, one step. Your only hope is to encounter, and not just a one-and-done thing where it's like, yeah, well, I remember when I was three years old at a vacation Bible school, I gave my heart to the Lord, but that we would continue to encounter him knowing that it is only in following him that there is any freedom that's available in our life. That's why he says to the church in Ephesus, you guys are doing awesome, great job, awesome. You're given servant, you know what you believe, but do not, do not forsake the love you had at first. And then he says in verse five, he says, consider how far you've fallen. Now, you can read it like I used to read it, which would be kind of condemning. Like, look at the sewer pit that you're in. Look what you did, you little jerk, right? Look, look, look how far gone you are. I cannot even believe where you're at, right? But it actually doesn't say that. That's kind of maybe how sometimes we read it. But it actually doesn't tell us to focus on where you are. It actually says, remember where you were? Look up. Remember where you were. Remember when you first met the Lord. Remember that. Don't, don't so focus on, 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 on where you are now. I think a lot of our time and our self-help is focusing on where we currently are. But Jesus is like, could you consider where you were? Because if you know where you were, then you know where you want to get back to. And then he says, let me tell you how to get back there. And he says this nasty word. Um, he says, Repent. And I don't know about you, but that word, like, I don't really like that word because it kind of has a connotation of like an admission of guilt because it is, right? I'm like, ah, I don't know if I need to repent. I mean, I did that when I was in, when I first came to Jesus, you know, repent and be saved. And, and I, I don't necessarily know if that's something that I need to continually doing. I actually, I think it is. I think it is something that it's a way of life that like the cool thing about repentance is that it's the very thing that we think is so confining and condemning is the very thing that brings us freedom. That it actually removes the stain of guilt and sin. It's not just the, the pathway or it's not just the entryway of, of receiving Jesus. It's actually the pathway of following him. And we see this. I mean, he says this like you want to you get back to where you were? Repent. I like to think of, of repentance as kicking the devil in the teeth. If you could think of it that way, maybe you're like, oh, I like that. Kicking the devil in the teeth. I'll repent all day long, right? Like, if you think of it as like, if, if repentance is kicking the devil in the teeth and saying like, oh, I'm sorry, you thought you were the boss of me? No, 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 you're not the boss of me. Like, oh, you thought, no, I'm sorry, it's like you had a friend. You thought you had a friend. Like, I, I, I'm not actually following you. You don't have a hold on me. I'm kicking you in the teeth because you're not the boss of me. 
And this is the freedom that comes through repentance. Repentance isn't this like, oh, you're just so guilty and you did this bad thing and you just need to make up for it and all these things. Repentance is just coming clean and saying, Jesus, I've been walking down this path and I'm choosing this day to walk down your path. And I feel like I'm so far from you and then I realize that you're so near to me. It says, so remember where you were so that you know where you want to be. Kick the devil in the teeth by repenting and saying, you're not the boss of me. And then he says this in verse five. He says, do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. It is so important for us to put our passion into practice. They go hand in hand. James says it this way in James chapter 2, verse 26. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's like, hey, look, James says, well, faith and deeds go together. In other words, passion and putting it into practice go together. Because if we separate these two things, think this through with me. If you have passion, but you don't put it into practice, you know what that's called? Emotionalism. It's just a, goes nowhere though. No meat to it. It's passion without putting anything into practice is emotionalism. And if you switch it around and you have, you have practice, but you have no passion, that's just religion. That's just doing things out of duty, out of, it's my chore, it's the thing I should do, it's because, you know, Jesus likes it when I do this. That's just religion. But, but when we put our passion into practice, that is spiritual maturity and health. That's, that's what Christ calls us to, putting our passion into practice. We can see this in marriage. Um, I know this. I, I've been married over 20 years, and so like, um, and I've, I've counseled a lot of I've counseled a lot of marriages and a lot of people, and I've I've seen some succeed and, and some not. Do you know why so many times marriages become a duty rather than a passion? Because we stop doing the things we did at first. We stop dating. We stop trying to kiss or get a squeeze at any moment that we possibly could. You know what I'm talking about. Like you stop cherishing each other and listening to each other's heart and sharing our own. And it turns from like, man, you remember like if you've been married, like you remember like when you first got married, like you'd be up till like three in the morning just talk, talking. It was awesome, man. You'd be like, it was amazing. We were up till three in the morning just talking. Would you believe it? Like, and now you're like up till three in the morning. Would you just shut up, right? I don't want to talk anymore, right? And you get to this place, why? Because you stop doing what you did at first. You stop putting your passion into practice. And so it's actually pretty kind of like a normal progression, both in our Christian life and in our marriage. Like in any relationship, when you begin to stop putting your passion into practice, it's actually kind of normal to, to fall into this place of um, religious duty or chore. And we begin to just lose that. And I think when, when, we, when this relates to our relationship with God, we start to make our passion for him into a feeling that we feel rather than a decision that we make. God, I'm, I'm choosing to, to pour into you today. And so when we say things like, I don't know, I just feel like I lost my passion for God. I don't know where to get it back. I don't know how to get it back. And God's like, I do. Repent and do the things you did at first. Oh, yeah, it can't be that easy. We're going to have to focus on where I'm at and what you did and what you didn't do and what I did and what I didn't do. Actually, no, could you just repent and do the things you did at first? Again, Jesus, it can't be that easy. No, no, it really is. If you could just repent and do the things you did at first. Like, 
Could you put your passion into practice and, and I'll make your practice passionate? Could you, could you do that? Because God is always into building character. He's always into building character in our, in our, in our lives. Um, because anyone can follow God when he's going the way that we want him to go. People with character follow God when he leads us to places we don't want to go. Do you realize that you don't know if you're truly following Jesus until he takes a turn that you don't want to go in? If not, you're just going for a walk. And sometimes I wonder if we're like, yeah, Jesus, we begin in passion. We begin, I want to follow you. And then he goes, and we're like, well, I'll catch you on the flip side, Jesus. Maybe we're just going for a walk. Which is why when, when, when Jesus is wooing back this church in Ephesus, and I believe he's wooing us back and saying, would you reset your soul to factory standards? God, I'm wanting to do a work in you. I just need you to repent and do the things you did at first. And sometimes we can look at the book of Acts, and I'll read through the book of Acts, and I'm always impressed by all the signs, miracles, and wonders. I'm like, oh my goodness, you believe this? Like, you know, raise the dead and do all these things, and people are healed and all of these things. And I'm so impressed by the, by the power of God to, to, to do all these signs, wonders, and healings. And, and that the power of God does that. But, but, but can I remind you that the power of God also gave them an enduring faith that weathered storms and shipwrecks and stonings and persecutions and prisons and even death. Both of these things happened by the miraculous power of God. Amen? Let me tell you, the power of God may have grown them through miracles, but it kept them through character. And sometimes God wants to just grow character on the inside of us. And when we talk about reset, we heading into 21 and all of that, like there's really kind of two ways of living. There's the outside-in way of living, and then there's the inside-out way of living. Outside-in way of living is how many of us have lived over the course of this past 12 months, where the things on the outside of us are affecting what's happening on the inside of us. I don't know if you felt this. Katie and I were talking about this last night. You ever feel like you're, you're literally in the center of a hurricane in the eye and you just feel like, if I just go like, you just get swept up. You, just, you, go, you go right, you just get swept up, right? And we've spent most of this past year just being swept up by the things that are going around us, whether it's political turmoil, confusion, all of the things that are happening around us. And we feel like, man, I, I am literally, the things that are swirling around me are affecting that which is in me. That's the outside in way of living. And what Jesus is saying and what he's, when we're calling to reset our souls is to say, you need to live from the inside out, which is mean that that which is inside of me, that which is inside of me, I, am, I, am, I have it rock solid and it, and, it, and it literally causes me to be able to walk out and not be affected by the things that are happening around me, which means that I can turn on the news and be like, it's okay. It's okay. I have Jesus on the inside of me. I, it's okay. I'm not allowing those things and the turmoil and all the storm that is going around me to affect and to infiltrate what is happening on the inside of me. Inside out. Inside out. I, was, I, I talk with people and they're like, they'll say to me, like, Pastor Justin, like, how, do you, how do you preach every week? Like, how do you get up and, uh, and be passionate for God? Like, how do, you, how do you do it? Here's the answer. I don't. I don't. Like, do you realize that my dog poops on the carpet just like yours? (laughs) 
crap happens in my life too. Do you realize that my mood and isn't always the best? Like, I, I don't know if you've ever been this place where you're not at your best. You ever been there? <laughs> no, just me, okay. You ever been there where you're just like, man, I, I, Jesus, there is junk and circumstances and things that are going on around me, and it is certainly affecting what is going on in me. So the answer is like, well, what do you do? How, do? how do you do that every single week? I have to go inside out. I have to go inside. Listen, there are some mornings where I'm literally on the front row praying to Jesus, Lord, you've got to come. You have got to come because Jesus... I got nothing. Like, I have literally nothing. I need the God in me to infiltrate so that, that what is happening around me does not, does not affect what is happening on the inside of me. Jesus, I need to stir up the gift that is in me so that I can move forward in what it is that you have for me. And, and, I, and I wonder, when we talk about getting this reset, I wonder how many of us just need to say, Jesus, I need you right now. Like, I, I, we certainly don't need more of me. I need more of you. I need to go from the inside out. And I've been trying to fix this thing from the outside in. I've been trying to fix the situation, fix the person, fix this, fix that, fix this. And God's God's saying, if you just repent and do the things you did at first, and I I, want to fix you. I want to fix you so that that no matter if you're going through shipwrecks, stonings, persecution, prison, or even death, you're living from the inside out, not the outside in. He says, do the things you did at first. Don't allow yourself to get so focused on the things that aren't the point to think that they are the point so that you get to the place where you think, what is the point? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And so what do we do? We spend time with him. We, we release things over to him. We forgive those who we don't feel like it. We, 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 we choose to worship him, not just for who, what, 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 what he's doing in our life at the moment, but for who he is. Can I tell you, there are many moments where I will have to go back to the love that I had at first. To say, Jesus, I remember when I met you the summer before my ninth grade year, and I will go back there, and I will go back to the place where I was and what he did. And I allow him to break my heart all over again. And I wonder... I wonder what it would look like if we allowed God to break our hearts all over again. To reset ourselves to the things that truly matter rather than to get swept up in the things that don't and think that they are. I have this card. It's, um, it's called, we call it the Daily Reset. This is different than what we've done in, in years past for 21 um, Years past, we've made booklets and scriptures and prayer points and things that maybe even a little fill in the blanks and things like that. And we made it very different this year, um, specifically and for a purpose. And um, essentially, I'm challenging you to take a card and the next 21 days and decide I'm, I'm going to set aside five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, half an hour, whatever you, whatever you decide to daily reset. Maybe it's breakfast. Maybe that's your best time. Maybe it's at lunchtime. Maybe it's, maybe it's before you go to bed. But just to, to walk down through this and allow God to be able to just reset your souls. Let me walk down through it with you. It's essentially, um, it's a 500-year-old prayer plan called the Prayer of Examine. So it's kind of um, an ancient path. 
you know, that, that maybe, maybe you've never seen it before. Maybe you walked down through this before. But the first one is review. Simply take just a moment out of your day to just pause and just be aware and still at the presence of God in your life. Be aware, maybe take in the key moments of your day, the emotions of your day, what drew you closer to him, what, what pulled you away from him during your day. The second one is rejoice. This is where you just kind of take this moment to say, God, I'm gonna, I thank you for the blessings in my life. God, I thank you for, for your presence. Even if you, I can't think of any blessings that are going on right now, God, I thank you that you're with me right now. I thank you for the blessing of your presence. The third one down here is release. And this is where you just kind of come to the place of like, Lord, I, I just release any anger or disappointment or frustration over to you. Are there any people that I need to forgive today? Keep your list short. Amen? It might take a while the first day. And you can keep a short list for the other days. You're like, Pastor Justin, five minutes, my goodness. It took me a whole lot longer than five minutes to do this. The next one is repent. This is where what we've been talking about, where you just allow God to say, God, are there any thoughts or actions or behaviors or attitudes in my life that just don't look like you? Can you correct me right now? Whew. Jesus, just correct me. Put me back on the path. Put me back on the path that I'm supposed to be walking on. And then the last one is refresh. And this is the cool one. This is where you just say, you know, maybe it's in the morning and you just look ahead to your day or maybe it's at night and you're looking ahead to the next day. But God, what is it that I want to be, you want me to be expectant of for my day? The hope that you have for my day. Who is it that you want me to be praying for? Who is it that you want me to be focused on? God, I thank you for the opportunity that I get to, to suck oxygen on planet Earth. What is it that you have for me today? And walk through with it. Just allow him to refresh you, to reset you. This is simply a daily reset. Time to ask the question, how is my soul? How's my soul right now? God, I pray that you would, you'd work in me as we make space for you to fill. Why don't you stand with me? So I'm challenging you, um, and maybe you're new here, maybe you've been around here for years, I'm challenging you to just say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm committing to take a card in 21 days and five minutes a day to allow God to reset my soul. I'll put it that way, how could you really say no to that? To say, I'm willing to allow God to be able to just Bring me back to the love I had at first by doing the things I did at first. Because the longer I live, the more I realize if you just want what you currently have, then do what you're currently doing. But if you want what you used to have, then do what you used to do. And begin to walk in it. Repent and do the things you did at first. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Let me pause there for a second before I tell you the rest of the story. The whole reason he told you this is so that you should always pray and not lose heart and not give up. Can I tell you that I used to always be impressed by my eloquent prayers? I mean, when I would nail a prayer, I'd be like, drop the mic. That thing was awesome, right? You ever like hear somebody pray and you're just like, man, you should put on a clinic that's amazing, right? Like, I wish I could pray like you. I get done, someone gets done praying and you're just like, I don't want to get saved all over again. That was amazing. You should get paid for that, right? You ever been there? Well, like, I used to be so impressed with this. I, here's what I found is that God is actually more impressed with just persistent prayer. 
He actually doesn't care if you talk in King James English. He'd actually just like you to just be real, honest, transparent, vulnerable. He says this, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Apparently she was a pill. And the Lord said, the Lord said this, listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So if an unjust judge who didn't care about God and doesn't care what people think would give justice to this woman, how much more will your heavenly father, your good dad, give justice to his chosen children? And he says this in verse 8, he ends it, he says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Which is kind of a weird way to be end this kind of weird parable. What kind of faith is he talking about? Will, will, will God find faith on the earth? I think he's talking about a faith, about a person who chooses to be persistent in prayer and not give up. Do you realize that one of the um, lesser known fruit of the Spirit is self-control? It's the last one. We like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Because we don't really like that one because it's like, how is that a fruit? I want love, joy, right? Self-control. Why? Because normally I think we, when we think of self-control, we think of saying no to temptation. And we're not historically great at that, right? I, I'm, I guess I don't have that fruit of the Spirit. But what if self-control isn't so much about saying no to temptation and a it, what if it's saying a persistent yes to God? What if self-control was turned around and it wasn't just about like, duh, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, and it actually was just saying, God, come hell or high water, I'm choosing to follow you. Yes. Even if you lead me in a place I don't want to go, yes. Even if I think we should talk about this because I think you're wrong, yes. Even if, like, I, I know, I just feel like I'm so far away from you. You don't understand what I did and what I've done and what they did to me. Yes. I choose to say yes. And so, God, I pray. I pray for each and every single person in here that we would have a persistent yes to you. And as we walk into this season together, not just as a bunch of, you know, staff people or some leaders in our church that would say, I don't know, I guess I'll try, I guess I'll, I'll try this fasting thing again. What if, what if God's people, called by God's name, chose to step up and to walk as one in unity of one accord, of one passion, of one heart, one God, chose to stand up and say, we say yes. God, I pray that you would reset our souls today. And as we choose to say yes to you, to walk together with one heart, God, I pray that you would reset marriages, you would reset our church, God, you would reset our work, reset our families, and reset our souls to factory standard settings. 
Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to walk in freedom, a.k.a. repentance, and doing the things we did at first. So yes, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen.